0: This message was preached on April 25th, 2021 at Faith Reformed Baptist Church in Titusville, Florida. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your great mercy, bringing us here to your house, to be with your people and to worship your holy name. And we ask father we ask that you grant us to uh, have understanding of your word the importance this doctrine that we will start studying this morning about good works or place in the uh, gospel of grace so pray in the name of the Lord amen so we start chapter sixteen in the confession of faith this morning it's a uh, chapter about good works, which is a very important doctrine, especially after the Reformation movement, because uh, it was at the moment of the Reformation in the 1500s that uh, a a clear doctrine of works was developed for the first time in in a very long time. We owe it the reformers to the way they explained this doctrine and the relationship between grace and good works so the uh, they brought a lot of light on this subject because before the roman catholic did not have a clear doctrine about good works there were many different uh, philosophies and some were Augustinian, some were Pelagian, and it wasn't on the Council of Trent that they arrived to a formal definition, a formal doctrine that was in 1545. From 1545 to 1563, they had Council of Trent against the Reformation, so they developed their doctrine or be, came to a defined doctrine of good works at that time so what are good works and what is their usefulness the plan of God what are they good for because we believe as just read in the catechism that we have been justified by an act of God's free grace right where he pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ Imputed to us and received by faith alone. We are saved by grace. That's what we say, that's what we profess. So, does that mean that works are not necessary? Is that what it means? Is that the, is that the implication? As a matter of fact, that was an idea or a heresy that was prevalent in the times of the apostles. The apostles wrote a lot about that. The so Apostle Paul wrote that well, that's not the implication. We cannot say that because we have been saved by grace that we can now go and, and not do anything not do any good works. And uh, James all wrote about it. And uh, the clear answer from the Bible is that uh, good works have a place in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace. Uh, Grace does not exclude works. And of course, that leads us to Ephesians chapter 2, where we read in verse 8 to 10, that for grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift, of God it is a gift not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them so this passage uh, teaches two things at least two things I'm not going to say that the only two things but it teaches in first place that we are saved By grace, with the exclusion of works, with the exclusion of the works of the law, they have no part in our justification. Our works do not contribute anything to our justification. That's a very clear point. In second place, the passage teaches that even though we are not saved by works, we are saved for works or unto works works unto good works there's another passage very important that teaches the importance of good works in salvation by grace in hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 to 21 it says there now the god of peace that brought again from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So this is the, uh, the prayer the author of Hebrews makes here at the end of the letter to the Hebrews. Make God, make you perfect in every good work. So they have a place in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, And up to this moment, the confession has said a lot about good works, but God's good works on our behalf. But now they are going to uh, talk about the good works of men. And even though we are talking about the good works of men, we cannot exclude God because the good works of men are the good works of of God, as we read in Ephesians, that we are His creation and we are to walk in those works that He has beforehand prepared. So, what are good works and how do we know if our works are good or bad? Well, that's when we go to the first paragraph in the Confession, chapter 16, paragraph 1. It says, Their good works are only such as God has commanded in his holy word, and not such as without the warrant thereof, are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intentions. So what do we have here? Well, we have a positive definition and a negative definition. And in the positive definition, they tell us that good works are those that are defined by God in his word. Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you. But do you justify? No, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly, humbly with your God. So he defines here what he wants from, from me. We don't have the right to define also, the passage again that we read in Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are created in Jesus unto good works that God has ordained that we should walk in them. And that word ordained means prepared beforehand, prepared in advance. God has some good works for us to do. It is our duty to do them. Also, the passage that we read in Hebrews Says that it is God who makes us perfect. To do which is pleasing in his sight. So, what are good works according to that passage? Well, whatever is pleasing in his sight. What is pleasing in God's eyes. He is the only one who can say, This is pleasing to me, or This is not pleasing to me. Right? Imagine that you go to a restaurant and, and you look at the menu. And you say, well, I'm going to order my favorite dish, grilled chicken and, and Brussels sprouts. Love that. So the waitress goes to the kitchen and comes back and brings pulled pork and mashed potatoes. <laughs> you say, well, this is not what I ordered. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I thought that you might like this better. <laughs> well, no. You say, no. I don't even like Pulled pork oh, imagine that there's somebody who doesn't like <laughs> <Pulled> pork. <laughs> so you are the you are the only one who can say yes i like this or i don't don't like this well god is the only one who can say this is pleasing to me and this is not pleasing to me in other words then to do good works is to obey his commandments and to do good in love but according to his word, not according to our imagination. For the glory of God, in conformity with the instructions that we have in his word. There is also a negative definition. They uh, <clears throat> Just in case you thought that it is not implied in the first part, they go you and tell you what you are not supposed to do, what we are not supposed to do. They say, and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intentions. So they say, good works are those defined by God in his work. And in case you are not sure, whatever you come up in your mind that you think is good, if it's not in the word, it's not good. It doesn't matter if you have good intentions. It doesn't matter. God works are, are not what you think they are. It is not according to our imagination. It doesn't matter what your intentions are. The reason for that is because we all are born with this little device inside of us. It's called the conscience. The conscience. And the conscience speaks uh, a very simple language. Okay, You don't need flashcards to learn that language. It has two words right and wrong. Only two words. For everything that you do or think of doing, your conscience says, good or wrong. There is one problem. The fall. Because of the fall of man, because of the fall of Adam, of which we are all partakers, sometimes your conscience tells you that some things are right, which are not right. And that some things are wrong, which are not wrong. Yesterday in the uh, men's meeting, we heard about a man who got arrested for calling his girl, his daughter, a girl. How crazy is that? You know, they said, no, 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 it's it's wrong for you to call your your daughter a girl because she doesn't want to be called a girl. The confession says here, it doesn't matter if you think it's right. If God has not said, this is right, then don't do it if you can't find a biblical foundation because we don't have a list you know an exhaustive list of you know what you have to do and what you but if you don't find a biblical foundation for what you think is a good work then probably it is not you may not find a biblical foundation but maybe you need more information right but if there is no biblical foundation for what you think that is the right thing to do, then don't do it. It brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. It says there, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah, To bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord, of hosts that dwell between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. So the context here is this. The Ark of God was taken by the Philistines and they had the Ark of God but God uh, brought many plagues to them and even killed some of them who dared to look inside the Ark. So the Philistines returned the Ark and it ended up in the house of Abinadab and now David is saying, well, I'm going to take it from the house of Abinadab and I'm going to... Bring it back to Jerusalem. And the passage says that they put the ark on a new cart, and then that the two sons of Abinadab drove the new cart. And every time I read that, I find very strange that why the emphasis on the new cart? You already said it's new. Why do you say it again? Well, I don't know if you have the same impression that I have, but I find that the repeated use of the word new means that David wanted to do something special. It was not, well, I am not going to put the Ark of God in any cart. No, I'm going to make a special, dedicated cart for the Ark. It says there that he brought the people of Israel 30,000. And he himself arose and went with them. The king of Israel, he went with them. He didn't want to delegate this task to somebody else. Here's the problem. God never commanded to put the ark on a new cart. As a matter of fact, God gave specific instructions about how he wanted the ark to be transported. So we're reading Exodus 25, verses 10 to 14. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. And a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And a cubit and a half the height thereof. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shall you overlay it and shall make on it a crown of gold round about it. And you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners of thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it, and you shall make staves of wood, and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the staves into the rings, by the size of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. Who was supposed to do that? Well, the Levites, specifically the sons of Kohath. They were the ones who were supposed to carry the ark using those staves that God commanded. He never said, put the ark on a new cart. And it doesn't matter how good the intentions of David. That, that was not what was God commanded. So the ark, you know, the cart started to move and, and, and it was... Uh, he put his hand because he thought the ark was going to fall and he fell dead in that moment as soon as he placed his hand on the ark and david said what am i going to do now how how am i, how am I going to carry the ark of god into jerusalem and we read later that when he actually brought the ark to jerusalem well this time the priests were carrying the ark and that's very appropriate for us you know because sometimes we are like that so david was like the waiter bringing pulled pork to the customer who ordered grilled chicken god said this is what what is pleasing to me this is what i want and he said no i think you want this i think you want this better paul had this complaint about the children of israel Romans 10, verses 1 to 3, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Very important for our modern society where morality is being redefined. And recently uh, I read that in Spain uh, they approved the uh, law of euthanasia. People, you know, went out in the streets saying, yes, I have the right to say when I am going to die and how, and if I am sick, I want somebody to come and kill me. Well, It doesn't matter if you think that's a good work. It's not. You don't have the right to end somebody's life. It's not your life. It's God gave it. And this is not a new thing. In Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, it says that there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It may seem right to you, but it is not right. All the opposite. It will lead to death. The precepts of men also sometimes have an appearance of wisdom, an appearance of mercy, an appearance of love. But in reality, they are evil works. Not only that God has not commanded, but that God forbids. But we also see in the Bible the problem of legalism. Legalism, people, you know, they start adding commandments and precepts to what God has commanded. And then what happens? They neglect the actual real commandments from God to do their inventions. Perfect example is Matthew 15, verses 1 to 3. It says there then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem saying why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders for they wash not their hands when they eat bread and Jesus said when why do you transgress the commandment of God to keep your tradition see you have invented traditions And because you keep your traditions that you think they are good, that you think they are uh, a good thing to keep, that God has not commanded. God never told you to do this. God never told you to tie the consciences of the people with this heavy burden. And now you are neglecting the real commandment from the Lord to keep your tradition. That's what happens. So good works are those that God has commanded that God defines in his word, either expressly or, or by principle. Then we come to the second paragraph. What are they good for then? If they, are, if they do not contribute to our salvation, <clears throat> well, the confession says, these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest or show, display their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouth of the adversaries, and glorify God whose workmanship they are. Created in Christ Jesus, thereunto, and having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. So what are good works? Good for, what's their utility, what's their usefulness, if they cannot save? Well, they say, they are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. They are the evidence of faith. They show that you have faith. James 2.18 says, yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I show you my faith by my works. See? My works are an evidence that I have faith. If you don't have them, you may say that you have faith, but you don't have the evidence of your faith. They are the evidence of faith. And this is something that I say all the time. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but faith never comes alone. Grace never comes alone. The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2, and he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to men, teaching us, not only saving, but teaching us something, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. The grace of God does not come alone. The, those were uh, verses 11 to 12. But the question remains, if good works do not do not justify, then what are they good for? Well, they give us a list here in the confession. First, they say that uh, they show our, thankful, our thankfulness. Somebody said that justification is grace, but obedience is gratitude. Those are two words that have the same root in Greek and in Latin and many languages. They come from the same root and they go hand in hand. In Psalm 116, verses uh, 12 to 13, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward, toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Then they say that they bring assurance. Assurance. Assurance of salvation. Do you want to have assurance of salvation? Well, if you are engaged doing the things that God has commanded, you have re- there a good indication you know, a, a good hint that you may be a saved person. First John chapter two verse three says, and hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Very simple. Verse five, but whoever keeps his word in him truly is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him if we keep his commandments. If we do what he said what if we do what he says that we should do if we are engaged in good works. Then they say that they are uh, good for edification, for edification. And we read in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, and beside this, given all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to be of benefit to others? Well, he says, well, they get engaged in all these things. Kindness, brotherly kindness, patience, temperance, all those things. Helping other people, charity. If you do that, you shall never be not nor unfruitful for Jesus Christ. Then they say that good works adorn the profession of the gospel. Adorn the profession of the gospel. You say you are a Christian. Well, it doesn't matter how, how loud you say it. How many times you say, you know, your works, you know, like the saying goes, speak louder. Speak louder. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Lord Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and what? And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. They adorn the profession of the gospel. Then they say that the good works stop the mouth of the adversaries, Right? those two things go hand in hand. First Peter chapter 2 verse 15 for so is the will of God that with well doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It doesn't matter how much they hate God and 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 all that when they if they see your life and if they see in your life they see the good works of the gospel they are not going to have anything to say. Finally in the uh, most important is that they glorify God. They glorify God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's basically the difference between real good works and good works that are made by an atheist and by somebody who is not doing it for God. You know, a Christian, does whatever he does for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, "Whatever you do, even eating, drinking, the things that you think are the most uh, mundane, common things, do it for the glory of God. Everything that we do is for His glory. So we glorify God when we do, when we walk in works that God has prepared beforehand that we walk in." Amen let's go to the lord in prayer dear father we thank you for your word for our salvation by grace and we pray lord that you grant us to to be diligent in doing these good, good works that you have prepared for us and we pray now that you help us uh, prepare our hearts to <clears throat> for the lord's supper the communion time that we're going to have this morning remembering the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the price that he had to pay to make our redemption possible. And we pray all these things in his name.